up, everybody? Welcome to the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Ross, Pernay Balapati with you. And, man, it was an exciting 2022 NFL draft for Baylor Bears and for the Big 12 in general, man. But you have six Baylor players get drafted, uh, the most in program history. Was that a number you were expecting heading into this draft? Did you think that Baylor would have that many teams get picked up? I didn't have a particular number in mind, but yeah, honestly, like I was thinking five to six guys, but what surprised me and what surprised a lot of people is how early some of these guys got drafted. Um, we saw two second round picks with Petrie and, and Taekwon Thornton and two third round picks and JT Woods and Terrell Bernard. Uh, what were your reaction? What was your reaction to seeing those guys go that early? Uh, for Petrie, I was, I, I was expecting it. Um, I thought he was a mm-hmm. guy that it honestly he was a first round talent that could have went late in the first round um, where he Absolutely. went in the second round, I thought was fitting. Um, the, the, the one with Thornton though, that one kind of surprised me. Um, Bill Belichick and the Patriots always have a unique approach when it comes to the NFL draft. Uh, and, and the wide receiver position up there has been one that has never really been one. They've, they've, they pursued for, I don't know. They've never really gone after star players. So not only the fact that they grabbed Taekwon, but the fact that they moved up in a trade with the Chiefs to get him, I think that speaks volumes of how the the organization views Taekwon and his talent for them to make that decision that, hey, we're going to step up, we're going to make a trade for you, and we're going to run up and snag you. Did they actually jump the Chiefs to get him? Did they jump him? I thought they traded with him. Oh, did they? I thought they jumped him because right after the Patriots took Tyquan Thornton, like one or two picks later, the Chiefs took Sky Moore. And I was sitting there like, maybe the Chiefs wanted Tyquan Thornton as a replacement for Tyreek Hill, and the Patriots jumped him and took him, which it just shows how how well he could translate to the NFL. Tyquan Thornton's a guy that I'm really high on. I actually I, – I see him – very similarly to Tyree Kill. Um, I, I'll have an article coming out more in depth on that. But, like, his measurables, it's incredible how similar his measure, his measurables are to Tyree Kill's. And then he has he has all the skills on the field. He, he, can, he can not only be a great deep threat at receiver, um, but he's also a good red, red zone receiver. And I think the Patriots are actually a really good spot for him because they have not too many – too many big names they brought in Devontae Parker but other than that he can be like that number one or number two guy if he develops there see that was I, I like the pick because if you go back and watch Mac Jones when he was at Alabama he was playing his best ball when he had time to throw the deep ball all of his receivers and granted it was more than likely because the talent that if you go back and look at that receiving core that he had it was absolutely oh, yeah. absurd they're all in the NFL right now and uh, you know, some of the top-tier receivers in the nation. So he was at his best when those guys would get behind the secondary. All he had to do was lob it up and let them run underneath it. I think when you, when you bring Taekwon in, he's a guy that fits that mold. Like, it, it might, it's going to definitely take – he needs to sharpen up some of his route running and really work on the route tree. But as far as when it comes to getting open, getting past the corner and, and eluding the, the safety position, I think that it's going to be interesting to watch the chemistry build – between him and Mac Jones, because I think they're a match made in heaven. Yeah, right on. I think that Mac Jones and Tyquan Thornton can work really well together. Um, and another guy who was drafted kind of early, Terrell Bernard, he was supposed to go in the fifth round-ish, and he went third round. Uh, first of all, if you haven't seen 
the the video of him getting drafted it, it's great like it's uh kyle brant coming out kyle brant for the nfl network he, yeah he comes out he makes a whole scene out of it and then it ends up being terrell bernard uh to the bills <laughs> it was, like you gotta go watch that if you haven't seen it but i think that that's also a really good fit for him he'll be playing under uh a defensive-minded head coach and sean mcdermott uh, Leslie Frazier is a, a good defensive coordinator, and he'll he'll be the the top backup behind Tremaine Edmonds and uh, Matt Milano, who are both good linebackers. So he'll be able to learn behind them and playing in a defense that was number one in the NFL last year. Just so much talent there that he won't have to worry about anything except for developing as a player. And then when he gets on the field, which he'll probably be the third linebacker, so just going out there and making plays. And the crazy thing on top of that, when you when you speak of how well they were last season, think about the offseason, right? They go and they add Vaughn Miller from the Rams. Yeah. So you throw Vaughn Miller in the mix. That's a hell of a crew for Terrell Bernard to be working with and learning under. I mean, there's no telling how many little techniques that he's going to pick up, especially from Vaughn Miller, a guy who's been in the, the biggest moments, you know, coming off of a, a Super Bowl championship. I think that's an ideal fit if you're Terrell, to go into that locker. And I feel like he's one of those players that that fan base is immediately going to be glued to. You know, they're, they're always crazy. It's going to be cold. He makes a big hit or something. They're going to be jumping through tables left and right for Terrell Bernard, bro. <laughs> that Bill's Mafia is crazy. They are. They're one of the best fan base. I'll give it that. They really are. Um, but, yeah, like being able to learn from Von Miller, that's another, another great guy to learn from. And just that team has – a winning mentality and, and Terrell Bernard is going to be bringing that same winning mentality over there. I ain't gonna lie. I was kind of caught off guard with the selection of JT Woods. I figured that JT was a guy that would go later than he did or might not even get drafted. He had a lot of talent, but he's a, he, to me, he's got a lot of, of little intangible things that he needs to sure up to you know, make it in the leagues and sustain a long yeah, a consistency in order to sustain a long NFL career. And oh, by the way, let's get you drafted in a division with the best quarterbacks in the game, bro. Like you're going up against Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr in division, and the AFC in uh, as a whole is loaded like when you look at think about all the the off the the offseason moves the afc power shift totally dominated the the nfc and i think that jt's gonna he finds himself in an interesting scenario like you're gonna he's gonna learn real quick you know how to play at the nfl level trying to go up against that type of caliber of play man in those quarterbacks absolutely but on the flip side, he's going to be able to be in a, a defensive backroom with guys like Derwin James, who has who he already has a relationship with, and uh, Nasir Adderley, uh, and then a couple of corners. I, I can't think of their names right now, but it's a really good defensive backroom, so he'll have guys to learn from. And how much do you think that the fact that he was playing under Coach Aranda and in this defensive scheme helped with how the Chargers and in general NFL coaches look better? Him and, and their ability to turn him into a good NFL player. Well, I think that's that's something that not just with him, but any defensive yeah. player that comes out. I think that Coach Aranda, in my opinion, is one of the few guys who gets the benefit of the doubt and the respect across the board from, from coaches because they, he's got such a track record throughout his career of developing some of the greatest defensive-minded talent to come into the league. And, you know, it just seeing the, the jump 
in production from these guys this year compared to last year, and knowing that it's only going to get better once they get into an NFL system, I think Aranda kind of sped their production up, and a lot of the people just respected what he's been able to do that, yeah, they definitely looked at that and said, you know what, if, if Dave was able to get this out of him, what can we do? And they trust the, the process. I mean, it's it's just it's crazy because we see it all the time, right? Like one example would be the New England Patriots and uh, Alabama, right? Like Belichick and Saban have this this connection, obviously, you know, from their time coaching together in Cleveland and everything. But I, look how many Alabama players find their way to the Patriots year in and year out. And I think that's because of that respect. And I think Aranda carries that same type of clout uh, when it comes to other coaches in the NFL. Yeah, and you know Aranda's going to start using this in, in recruiting. Um, oh, hell yeah. He's going to be – because now it's not just you can go to a winning program with a winning culture. You can go to a place where they care about you as a person, not just as a player. Um but now it's, yeah, you can go to Texas or, or you can go to Texas A&M or, or Miami or something. You can get all this NIL money, which Baylor, I don't think, has the resources to provide. But now you can say, but look at what we've done to these players, how we've developed them into NFL players. And if you want to play the long game and you're not going to a Georgia or an Alabama or a Penn State, then then come to Baylor and develop into a really good player and and in the long term set yourself up for even more financial success. That's a great point. And I think that's what Baylor needs to do because they can't hang financially realistically with your A&Ms, your Bamas. They just you can't do it. They're they're a smaller program, they're private, they have less donors and and, and they do a good job. I love you know we've mentioned this numerous times. But the academic plan they have in place to, to financially reward players, I think using something like that along with the sales pitch that you're bringing up of we can develop you. And that's going to be the, the balancing act is how you can get players to not necessarily to, to look at the bigger picture because th- that's what you're going to have to do if you're a player is, is say, I might be able to – I might miss the money now, but in the exactly. end, I'll be in the league for 10 years – more than likely if I go to Baylor and get developed, whereas I might hit a lick at Texas right now, but I'm going to be out the league in two years and then scrambling the rest of my life. So, so that's a that's a balancing act. And look, I'm not that could be a million other schools. That's not just Texas. It was just an example. Right. But I, I think that's one way that Baylor has to spin this thing in their favor to take advantage of being behind the eight ball. Exactly. And now it's tangible because you see these guys get drafted. Not only did six Baylor players get drafted, five more signed undrafted free agent contracts and now have a chance to turn their NFL career into something successful. Um, Abram Smith got guaranteed $200,000. So even if he doesn't make a roster, he'll likely make the practice squad. So, so now you can say it's not just about that short-term success. You have that, that long-term potential to become a really good NFL player and and the fact that they focus on you as a person means that even if you don't end up being an NFL player then you can still have a a solid career in life outside of football that's a really good point man that's a really good point and that's a good way to transition let's take a look at some of these other teams in the big 12 who and what they're look like in the draft there were three teams out of the conference Brunei three Mm -hmm. who didn't have players drafted We're going to get into that next here on the Bears Illustrated podcast. 
back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. And, man, let's jump into this. So I found this interesting. The Big 12 had 25 players selected in the 2022 NFL draft, but they didn't have any go in the first round. Um, were you? What were your thoughts as the as round one's unfolding and really once you get into those later round draft picks that no Big 12 players come off the board? Yeah, it's um, it's surprising, but this year, like when we look at the players that were in the draft, it's it's kind of expected. Jalen Petrie was probably the most likely Big Twelve guy to go in the first round, and he fell to early second round. Um, it's part of part of it is that Oklahoma didn't have any superstars this year that went because usually they'll have a guy or two who are just really good, and someone like CD Lamb will just go easily in the first round, and then. The other part of it is that Texas also didn't have those guys, but not only did they do they not have a first round pick, they just didn't have anyone get drafted. So, um, go ahead. So when you're when your two blue blood programs don't have any stars, then it's kind of it's it's reasonable for no Big Twelve guys to go first round. But didn't that the problem with the Big Twelve? Like it, it's almost like if Texas or Oklahoma doesn't. It isn't up at the top, or they're not getting all the attention, or it's some other team besides one of those two, then it's, well, it doesn't matter. The rest of it's irrelevant. Yeah, I think that changes, though, like with, with Aranda and the pedigree he's building at Baylor. So I think Baylor players will start getting that respect. Um, and, and Cincinnati had a guy, Sauce Gardner, go number four overall. So it's a new Big 12 team. They had more, they had nine picks overall, even more than. Oklahoma or anyone else in the Big 12. So I think that'll help. Um, but can we talk about, can we just talk about Texas for a second? Who? And their, Who? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and their ineptitude. Like, how do you, how are you the University of Texas? You have one of the best recruiting classes every year, and then you have zero guys get drafted. It's pretty, it's crazy how, how bad that reflects on their the the crazy thing is this is something this isn't something new okay so Stuart Mandel had a tweet uh, this is the fourth year since 2014 that Texas has had zero or one player drafted okay wait the, wait, wait say that again the fourth this year is since the fourth time since 2014 the Longhorns have had zero or one player drafted in the most talent rich state in the country. You literally get to pick whoever the hell you want to come to your school, and you yeah. cannot put it together. I don't understand that. Listen to these numbers. This is actually from Texas's uh, SB Nation page. Based on a study of the recruiting classes between 2008 and 2016, 49% of five-star prospects, so basically half of every half of five-star prospects, and... 19% of four-star prospects get drafted, which means by this point, Texas should have should have had eight players drafted based on those numbers just in this year's draft. Wow. From the 2018 and 19 classes, and they had zero. So this is interesting, too. Like, it's not just Texas struggling. Like, A&M has – they've been slowly trying to climb up and make themselves – where they wanted to be, they, they they wanted to really steal the 
I guess the the attention that, that Texas gets like T- A&M's done a better job of developing. They have a better all around program than Texas across the board, but they still get you know shunned or they're the little brother when it comes to UT. But I thought this was interesting too because they A&M always has the big brother aspect to Baylor. Uh, year in and year out, even though they don't play on the, the, you know, just like Texas, they don't play, but those rivalry, it's still ingrained and it's going to be there. So NFL draft picks per Texas college in 2022, Baylor had six, A&M had four, Houston had three, SMU had two, Tech had two, UTSA had two, Sam Houston has one. How does Texas not have one? I mean, if you want to go outside of Texas, UConn had a pick, Villanova had a pick, Lenore Ryan had a pick. Um, I it's it's crazy. You said four times since twenty fourteen they had they've had zero or one. Yes, that's just. I mean, that's the that's the culture there. It's just, I guess, the players don't, the the coaches don't focus on developing the players into NFL prospects. And they're not winning either, so, like, what are they doing? Well, I think another another bigger issue is there's been so much change, like, at the head coaching position, and it happens so frequently that you're having guys come in, recruit players, and then they get booted before they have time to develop. Then a new coach comes in, inherits those players, and decides half of these guys aren't a fit for Y system. So you either get rid of them, they hit the portal, you rebuild, you bring in your guys, and it's a broken cycle. By the time you get your guys in recruited, you're fired. That's very fair. I don't don't think that it's necessarily they can't develop the talent. I don't think any coach has been given the, the opportunity and the time to develop the talent. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's not like you can't develop that talent. It's got, got five stars and four stars littering the place. It doesn't take an incredible level of development to turn them into NFL players. Like, they should be going to the NFL. So that's that's a good point that the transition of coaching staff to coaching staff is hurting them. But I still think, like, I mean, how do you not have one guy go? You should. I mean, I mean every look, year look, they should have at least one. Yeah, I mean, they should, they should have multiple, really, every year. But I mean, let's get it, let's give them the the little bit of credit they deserve. They had a guy transfer out in twenty twenty, uh, a running back who knew that he wasn't going to beat out B. John Robinson the next year, so he went to USC and he got drafted. So they get a half a half pick there. <laughs> get a half. We'll throw in a half. I like that. It's a little little <laughs> shade out there. So so this all right. So I found this interesting. I was looking at uh, the the Big Twelve players that were drafted and. So besides Texas, two other programs in the league didn't have any players drafted. Do you know who they were? I'm going to guess TCU. That's one of them. And was it Texas Tech? West Virginia. Tech had two players go. So West Virginia and TCU both joined Texas as not having any players drafted. And this is interesting here because we were talking – when we first got started – you brought up a good point about the first round while players didn't get picked, and you said Oklahoma didn't have any stars. Mm-hmm. But Oklahoma had seven players drafted. Right. So I, I find it it's, it's crazy to think that 
you I, I don't know how like the, the perception of Oklahoma's I, I don't know I feel like they get a if they're not winning or they're not first every time then they're looked at as something's wrong with them when in reality it's sometimes people just catch up to you and think about all the turmoil and everything they've had going on as well yeah i mean oklahoma they're arguably the greatest college football program of all time so like they expect to win every year but apparently they have had turmoil remember we had joy on you said that they were having internal issues in the lincoln riley era so that that might have played a part into it, but it's just they just didn't have a, a star who was a junior or senior. I don't think there's anything wrong with the program. It, Seven it, players drafted. What do you think, when you look at Oklahoma, because I, I have this nugget here, what do you think their most successful position group has been as far as being drafted in the last five years? Like which players have come from the most position group from the Sooners in the last five years? Oh, the most? Because yeah. most successful, I'd say quarterback, because yeah. that hurts Murray and right. Baker. But uh, I would go linebacker. It's actually the guy who's kept Murray and them up. The offensive line. And I would have never oh, okay. thought about this. I, I, I would have never gotten this. But uh, Oklahoma offensive line coach Bill Bedenbrough, the Sooners have had 12 offensive linemen drafted in the last five. I mean, they've had seven offensive linemen drafted in the last five years. TCU comes in second in the Big 12 with three. Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia each have two. Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State have one. Baylor and Iowa State have not had an offensive lineman drafted in the past five years. Really? Really. That'll change next year with Connor Galvin. I think that's going to change with probably two or three of those guys next yeah, year. Yeah, Khalil Keith. I mean, you've got some dudes up there that I think – but Galvin is easily the, the one you're going to navigate to. Everything, everybody – he's like the face of that unit. You can't mention that line yeah. without Connor Galvin coming up. But 12 offensive lineman of the year. Yeah, it, his development has been really amazing to watch. And that's mm-hmm. one thing – and I know we talked about it before, but – when you look at what Coach Mateos has done in such a short time, he took one of the worst units in college football and made them one of the best in one year. Yeah, that's That is true, absurd. Because in 2019, when Baylor won the – or made it to the Big 12 championship, the yellow line wasn't very good. Charlie Brewer was getting hit all the time. Yeah. And then 2020, I, I don't think it was that much better, was it? But – yeah, it's the best unit in the Big 12 now. And it's, Xavier Newman-Johnson actually signed an undrafted free agent deal with the Titans, so there's there's one guy who at least will have an opportunity. Do you think any of the guys that got signed stay? Like, if there's one, do you think there's one? Pl- Abr- Abram Smith. Abram Smith? Yeah, I mean, the fact that they gave him $200,000 guaranteed already means they think that he's he's worth giving a roster spot to. Well, it also helps that you got the, the connection with the Saints – um, Poli- was it, is it Polian? I believe, not Polian, but uh, the the, the uh, scout that he used to work at Baylor, and he's very familiar oh, with all okay. of the the players. So that definitely helps as well. But gotcha. come, 
let's get into this. I want to really dive in. I want to get Pastor Scotty's perspective uh, from the Please Bear With Me podcast. There, with I want to touch base with him, get his thoughts on the draft, and get his thoughts on where Baylor is heading. We're going to do that next here on the Bears Illustrated podcast. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. Garrett Perday here with you, and we are joined by Scotty Swingler, the host of the Please Bear With Me podcast, who helps us out here on Baylor Bears 24-7 Sports, and we greatly appreciate. Scotty, what's up, man? How you doing? Man, I'm well. How are you? I, I want to, I hate to do this, man, just right off the top, but I am the creator and I am still the owner of Please Bear With You, but actually my friend Travis Corley hosts every week now and has been doing that since last year. Um, I now get to sit in the background and come on when I feel like it, which is a, which is a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. Excited to talk Baylor football. So I, I want to dive into this. Uh, you know, it was a big weekend for uh, Baylor in general when you talk about the NFL draft. Where does this rank up there for you as a Baylor fan as, as when you look at six guys make history for the program that go off the board uh, in the 2022 NFL draft? Yeah, I think this has to be my favorite – one um and i've been watching baylor guys go in the draft since i was in middle school i mean this is this is such a big deal to me and you know what you didn't have here is the first round guys so like rg3 and jason smith going number two overall those were huge moments Corey coleman going in the first round some other guys were felt big right but here's here's what's so big about this to me guys is that we got six players that went four in the first three rounds and compare that to the rest of the state of Texas. I think that is what got me most excited uh, about this draft is that, you know, this is the first Matt Rule class that has gotten drafted and we did very well. And when you compare it to even Texas A&M, which is still, which is still a program that's pretty healthy, but then certainly compare it to Texas and TCU and Texas Tech. I mean, Baylor is the standard in texas this year and putting guys in the nfl i think that's going to continue uh at least in some senses not that we will have the most players every single year but i think most years we are going to be right at the top one or two in the state and i think there is no better recruiting pitch y'all you know that guys want to get to the nfl and dave aranda is going to develop guys to get to the nfl so it was a lot of fun to watch as a baylor fan and just as a state of the program i think a great indicator of where we are you mentioned it it was uh matt rule's first class to get drafted but how much do you think dave aranda and his coaching staff's development played into these guys getting drafted it's a great question i it's hard to con- con- put the, those two guys against one another because in terms of philosophy rule and Aranda are so similar. They want speed on the field at every position. They are defensive minded, defensive first kind of coaches, you know, and, and so I think both were invaluable, but I, I would agree with you. Here's what Aranda has done so well uh, is Aranda put those guys in positions to show their best this past season. You know, I saw, I think it was, Travis Roeder pointed this out. One of those guys over there that that does the football analysis. Aranda used Petrie and Bernard in particular in ways that maximized their skill set and didn't, you know, show some of their weaknesses like their size. Um, you know, use them blitzing off the edge, uh, using their speed, using Petrie in the box because he's violent. So what Aranda has done so well, I think, is put guys in the position to be their best 
selves on the football field. You know, even Abram Smith, who, you know, maybe that's a topic for us to discuss in a second. I just can't believe didn't get drafted. Um, but the guy was arguably the best running back in the Big 12 after not playing the position for three years just because of the fit and the scheme. So I think Aranda's coaching staff so well is putting guys in positions to succeed. You know, and when you succeed in college, you're going to get a shot in the NFL. So um, I would agree with you there. How do you think that translates, though? Because you, you bring up a good point that Arena does a good job of, of finding ways to utilize players within his system to get the most out of them. But how does that benefit the players once they go into an NFL scheme if they're paired with a coordinator or you know a defensive coordinator in general where they don't necessarily look at that? They, they're stuck in, this is what works for me and my system. I'm not willing to adapt for you. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't think any football player out there would say I'm not willing to adapt and give it a shot and and work on a different aspect of my game to fit my team. But I think I think you actually saw this work to guys' advantage. So Jalen Petrie um, is not going to be a drop deep cover two safety in the NFL, and he wasn't that in college. But in a Tampa two scheme, which is what the Houston Texans are most likely going to run under Levy Smith, he is that perfect outside linebacker uh, or nickel corner who can play in the box, come in on blitzes off the edge. He's going to be doing exactly what he did at Baylor in that Tampa two scheme. So on one side of the coin, you're right. Jalen Petrie, the best player in this class for Baylor, would not fit with every team, but with the team running the scheme where they need an athletic, violent uh, guy that can both cover and blitz from that outside linebacker spot. He's a perfect fit, you know? So uh, I'm not sure how to answer your question, except to say that I think if you get guys that shine really well in a specific role, teams will find ways to use them in that role more often than not. And, and the teams where they do fit will be the ones that have them high on their, on their boards and that will take them. Speaking of guys that shine really well in a particular role, um, Abram Smith is one of those guys. And he wasn't drafted, but he did sign with the Saints as an undrafted free agent. And he got $220,000 guaranteed. So how do you see him transitioning to the NFL? Man, I just think he's he's what you want in an NFL back, right? In terms of one cut and go, in terms of running with a lot of violence behind his pads, in terms of hitting the hole and, and picking up, falling forward every time he gets tackled. That is, to me, Abram Smith is what NFL backs are. And I was shocked he didn't get drafted. I'm, I'm still wondering, we're recording this here on a Sunday night, and this has not been said anywhere. I'm wondering if something, if there was a medical something that came out if i just cannot fathom why he wasn't drafted i think he's gonna do really well with the saints i think worst case scenario he's on the practice squad this year um, and for a lot of guys that is their ticket into the league and they do make it up from there i think there's a very good shot he makes the roster alvin kamara's in some legal uh situations right now that that might prevent him from playing football this year they did sign mark ingram but he is both injury prone and older um and so i think abram has a really good shot to make the Saints roster because the other two guys they have outside of those two are very unproven. They're first and second year guys out of Notre Dame that haven't done anything in the league either. So I think if Abram comes into camp and just shows that violence, uh, you know, the West Coast scheme is not one that I think he's going to translate into super easily back to Garrett's point um, coming from that wide zone scheme at Baylor. 
But I think if he runs behind his pads and he's the same guy we know in camp, I think he's on he's on the opening day roster, especially if Kamara isn't able to be there at the start of the season. Could you see a situation where he does like the reverse of the reverse? Like it, it, it's not working at the running back position and not necessarily even with the Saints. Say it, it's not with the Saints and there's another team off of there. What are the odds that we see him in – it's some sort of a situation down the road where he's playing linebacker again. Yeah, very. I think the odds he's playing linebacker in the NFL are very low. Uh, he wasn't even, um, I don't think, a draft prospect at linebacker, even when he was doing it for, for rule and then even into 2020. I, uh, But I do think where this helps him, Garrett, is making a team by playing special teams. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's unafraid to tackle. So, you know, when you have a guy who has defensive fundamentals um, trained at the college level, they can tackle well, they can shed a block. I think when it comes to like, hey, we've got the 51 or 52 guys picked out for the roster, who's the last guy or two, you look at that as invaluable. The fact that Abram Smith can come down the field and make a tackle. And so I, I do think it does help him make a roster, even if he never plays linebacker. And I don't think he will at the NFL level. Let's switch over to to this year's Baylor team and and look forward to next season. So obviously the big the biggest recent story is the quarterback battle and and the decision to start Blake Shapen. You were one of the guys just scrolling through Twitter. I saw you were like very disappointed that Gary Bohannon wasn't going to be the starter. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so what what did you see in Gary and what are your expectations for Shapen? Yeah. So humans are this is where i'm going pastor mode for just a second but we'll get right back to football humans are complicated we can hold two very different emotions in the same place even if they seem to butt against each other i have known sean bell personally since i was five years old i i trust him and dave aranda's staff more than anybody when it comes to evaluating players and so when it comes to the selection of blake shapen to be the starter i I trust that they've made the right decision because they're there and i'm not and, and i trust those guys However, I'm also extremely just hurt and disappointed for a guy that did everything right the whole way, that bet on himself last offseason and won that starting job, even though he was not the fan favorite at that point. And I I just love Gary Bohannon, the dude. And so that's a huge piece of this. On the football field, Gary Bohannon is what you want – in a quarterback in terms of his composure he is never frazzled I, I love seeing a guy go out there and even if he makes a mistake he's going to come right back out the next series and look like he's having fun and playing good football and that was gary bohannon that that epitomized what gary bohannon was for me i think gary bohannon has all the tools i mean i think he's i think he's a great passer i don't know the the, the narrative that well shapen's a passer and bohannon's a runner i thought bohannon made a lot of really quality throws last year especially in some of the intermediate routes that charlie Brewer could not make the year prior I, I just thought Bohannon was excellent and it's hard to it's so hard dudes to say hey uh all you did for us as a first year starter was help us win the big 12 thanks and bye like that just that just her I'm still upset about it um as far as Blake Shapin goes I, I think he's an outstanding talent and and I understand the why people are excited about him. There's two things that concern me, and I hope he proves me wrong this fall. One is his durability. I don't know that a guy under 200 pounds uh, is your best bet uh, at the quarterback position every day. We saw that with Charlie Brewer, y'all. I mean, what happened to him over four years? He never got. I don't think he ever reached his ceiling, and and in fact, most people would say he kind of cratered because he was constantly hurt. Uh, and I just hope that Shapin can stay healthy. Secondly. 
he never he he did not show the ability in limited playing time last year to lead and sustain long touchdown drives. Most of his touchdown drives, I think all but two, the entire time he played started on our side of the 50. Uh, in the Big 12 championship game, his longest touchdown drive was 44 yards. And so I, I Gary could regularly take you on a 80-yard, 14-play drive. Yes, we leaned on Abram Smith, but, you know, that, that was the game last year, right? And so I just wonder out loud, and I think he can do it if Sean Bell thinks he can do it. Uh, what Shapin's going to look like week two against BYU and Provo. Uh, can you lead us on a couple of long touchdown drives? Can you stay? Can you not get hit? Please get rid of the ball. Don't try to run with the football. Like we need you healthy if you're going to be our guy. Um, and so I might've talked a little bit too long on those points, but that's, that's where I'm at with Gary and with Blake. I hope Gary goes to another conference and wins that conference and goes to the NFL and has a lot of success. Cause I just think he's a tremendous person. Um, but obviously yeah, I'm, with, Sh- I'm with you there. Yeah. But obviously I hope Blake Shapin's the best quarterback in the big 12 next year and takes us back to back. And, and I don't think that's out of the question. So, so with that being said, how concerned are you given the fact that Baylor this year has all of their key games when I say all of their key games I mean a majority of their key games on the road where last year you had the benefit of playing that at home and also I love how you brought up the BYU game but from Shapin's aspect because I brought it up the other day from the the secondary aspect because I feel like that's where you're going to learn a lot about this team in the back end because BYU is going to test you, man. Wilson's a, a tremendous quarterback. You have uh, a, arguably the greatest wide receiver core in BYU history right there. So I feel like you're going to learn a lot about the secondary in that game. But I like that you brought up the fact uh, of shaping and being able to see how concerned are you the fact that you're going to have a new quarterback and you have to go into these hostile road environments, like what, five times this year? There's not an easy road game on our schedule. The two road games on our schedule where you would say that's an easy win are in Morgantown and Lubbock. And anybody who's played football in Morgantown and Lubbock would tell you those aren't easy places to win. Those fan bases are nuts. So you're right. Every single road game is one in which Baylor needs to play a plus football, because if you struggle, um, you will lose. I even think of 2020 in Lubbock, two pretty poor football teams playing that game. Baylor's up 23-12 at the end of the third quarter and can't score in the fourth, and Tech gets a touchdown and two field goals, one at the last second to win the game. I mean, that's that's Lubbock. If you're, if you're not on the gas, you're going to lose. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you completely about our secondary. And with Blake, it's going to be – you got to – you throw them into the fire and you've got to mature fast. Provo is, is going to be, I think our toughest game on the schedule, just because of when it happens and the X factors of playing in Utah, the altitude, it's such a long trip, um, you know, and yeah, he's a young guy to his credit. The big 12 championship game felt like an away game. If you were at that game, uh, you know, there were so many Oklahoma state fans in that stadium. I really got concerned walking in and seeing how much orange there was and so I think the fact that Shapin could maintain his composure and play well enough to win against Oklahoma State in that championship gives me a lot of confidence in his ability to play on the road. But you're right. We're not going to know until we see it. And uh, that is the biggest hurdle, I think, to this team reaching its potential is, I mean, Provo, Norman, Morgantown, Ames, Lubbock, like none of those are easy places to win. What What do you think is this team's potential? What, what's the ceiling the ceiling, and I say this 
without a, any sense of sarcasm or irony, is is 12-0 and 0 and a college football playoff berth. You know, I went through game by game. Um, there's this web app that I, oh, somebody was sharing it a couple weeks ago that you can literally go game by game through any conference, every every schedule, every team's game matchups, and pick every game. And so you're picking week by week. You're not, like, looking and going, well, I think Oklahoma's going to go, you know, 10-2 and in this. You're just picking game by game. And then it tells you what you actually picked in terms of records. And when I went through game by game, Baylor should be favored in every game we play this season. Uh, maybe in Provo we're not, but I think outside of that, like you return your, your offensive and defensive lines, you return a experienced quarterback. You we should be favored to win the big 12. And I think there, we should and can win every single game on our schedule. And if that happens, we're going to the college football playoff. I don't think that will happen. I think we will lose in Provo likely. I think it's likely that we drop another road game somewhere. I do think I would be shocked though, if we don't make the big 12 championship game, if we're not one of the top two teams at the end of the whole thing. And I wouldn't say if, if we finished third in the big 12, I wouldn't cross my arms and say, well, we suck. That was a huge disappointment, but I would be bummed. And I would think that is not reaching our potential. I, I think, um, when you have the caliber of offensive and defensive line coming back that we do coming off a Big 12 championship season, we should be right back in it. Scotty, last thing I have for you, I kind of want to go back to to the NFL aspect of this. With with when you have six guys that go in the draft this week, when you look at the the current Baylor players in the NFL, in my opinion, I think you got to say Xavier Howard is more than likely the the most successful active it's player. It's not close. It's not even it's not close. close. Right? Who, who do you think out of this core group right now? That, that went in, these six. Is Jalen Petrie, I guess, the one that's really going to push the envelope towards Zabian? I think that's the most like – I mean, we have to – based on how he's played this past two seasons and, and where he went in the draft, I think we have to say that's just statistically the most likely thing. I'm going to tell you two other guys that I think could surprise people and have long careers in the NFL. I think Tyquan Thornton could have a long NFL career if he stays healthy. Uh, the guy is just – so gifted and and with the speed that he showed at the combine and going to an organization like the Patriots where in year one, he's at best going to be the number three receiver working a lot out of the slot. I think he has a lot of chance to be a very successful and maybe never a number one guy on a team. There's so many good wide receivers in the NFL right now. It's embarrassing, but maybe a, a you know, almost like Terrence Williams, which is quietly in Dallas for almost 10 years as the number two guy. I think Tyquan Thornton could have a long, successful NFL career. And then the other guy, and and this is strange because I've been hyping up Abram Smith so much. If Tristan Ebner stays healthy, I think that's the guy who could play in the league for 10 years. Chicago is showing a lot of confidence in him. There's only four running backs on their roster currently, including Ebner. Uh, They think he's going to be their primary return guy this coming season, which – of course he is, uh, you know. And so I think if he can carve out a role, and he will never be an every down back in the NFL. But could he be, you know, the permanent third down back that, you know, almost like a Darren Sproles that was just in the mm-hmm. NFL, it felt like for two decades, catching passes out of the backfield, returning punts, occasionally filling in as, a, as the starting running back when someone went down. I think Ebner's got the skill set to do that. Um, but I would agree with you, Jalen Petrie, is just a great football player. And I would be shocked if he is not, a, you know, a pretty strong player right off the bat for the Texans making big plays. And last question, outside of quarterback, who are you looking, who are you most looking forward to watching this season? For Baylor? For Baylor, yeah. I think seeing how Jackson player works into the defensive line rotation has me really excited. I, I think the idea that you take out Oppen 
two and you put in Jackson player, that is, that's embarrassing. Um, we have the two best defensive tackles in the big 12, not just the best one. Uh, so I'm excited to see Jackson player and his role. I'm excited to see how we use Matt Jones. Uh, Matt Jones was a guy that I just got excited every time he was on the field last season, he'd always seemed to come up with a big play. And I think we're going to move him around to several spots in that kind of linebacker, uh, edge role. And I'm really excited to see how we use him. The other guy, and he may not see the field this season, but you saw this in the spring game. Uh, I used to cover El Campo Rice Birds football here outside of Houston. And I saw El Campo a couple years ago play against St. Thomas, which is a private school here in Houston. And they had a kid named Cameron Bonner that uh, El Campo has the number one running back in the 2023 class in America right now. His name's Ruben Owens. He probably runs a 4-3. Cam Bonner consistently burned Ruben playing cornerback to go deep and score. He scored three touchdowns against El Campo that day, all on deep post routes all just wow. like making everybody look silly. And when he did it in the spring game with CJ Rogers throwing that rainbow 77 yards, that was Cam Bonner on the receiving end. And I've been telling guys for two years, if that guy can just get onto the field in a deep wide receiver room, uh, I think he is quickly going to become a fan favorite. Cause I think he's the guy that nobody's talking about in that wide receiver room that has so much talent in terms of speed and, and ability to go catch the football. Um, so I, I would say wide receiver group as a whole, I've been the guy the whole time that says, I know we don't have a single proven receiver on the roster, but I think this is the best receiving core Baylor's ever had. And I think, uh, oh, wow. yeah, I really do. I think in terms of talent, like it's actually really embarrassing. And maybe we can talk about that more another time. But I think Cam Bonner is the guy that's floating under the radar that whether he plays this season or the next season, when, once he comes out, it's going to be fun and exciting to watch. Scotty, man, we appreciate your insight. We appreciate you jumping on. Tell everybody where they can find you out on social media right now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm at Pastor Scotty, Pastor underscore Scotty on Twitter. Uh, I've considered in the past couple months making an, a new Twitter to just talk Baylor football, but that that does not exist currently. I would also ask you to follow Please Bear With Me on Twitter. That's Please Bear Like Baylor Bears, W underscore me. I know that's confusing, but if you search Please Bear With Me, you'll find it. Uh, that is the podcast that uh, I created and Travis Corley hosts week to week in the fall. It's just a fall football um, thing. But uh, that's where you'll also see some of my football content coming through. So, yeah, man, and I'm excited and thankful for this, the podcast, and happy to come on and talk shop anytime, anytime, guys. All right, we appreciate it, man. There he goes. That is Scotty Swingler from Please Bear With Me. Uh, That's all the time we have today for today's episode. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you subscribing. This has been the Bears Illustrated Podcast.